Well, if you've got your Bible with you, open it to the first chapter of the book of Acts. What would we do without our mother's advice? In fact, I'd go so far as to say that mom's advice sometimes resembles Jesus' wise counsel. A mother's advice is sometimes summarized in short maxims uh, and uh, called momisms. So I, I found some momisms this week and I want to share some with you. I think a few of them might sound familiar. You ever heard this? What if everyone jumped off a cliff? Would you jump too? Close that door, you'll let the flies in. Or, close that door, were you born in a barn? Okay. Uh, if you can't say something nice, okay, you were listening to mom. Don't put that in your mouth, you don't know where it's been. Don't eat those, it'll stunt your growth. Or, if you don't eat those, it'll stunt your growth. Always change your underwear. You never know if you'll be in an accident. <laughs> I've, if I've told you once, I've told you... That's right. Okay. Here's one that's also known as the mother's curse. I hope that when you grow up, you have kids just like you. <laughs> because I'm your mother, that's why. Eat your vegetables. Those children in China, Africa, you fill in the blank, would be happy to have some Brussels sprouts to eat. And we kids said, yeah, well, you send them to them. They'd probably send them back. <laughs> or here's one. Yes, I am the boss of you. And this may be my favorite. If you fall out of that tree and break your leg, don't come running to me. <laughs> well, last week we began a short series of messages called 40 Days of Purpose. And we are looking at those 40 days between Christ's resurrection and his ascension into heaven. There were 40 days. And in the New Testament records, there are 11 accounts of his appearances to his disciples. May have been more, but there are 11 recorded in the New Testament. And in the opening verses of Acts chapter 1, it says that Jesus appeared to them offering many convincing proofs. Those were proofs that he was alive after he had been crucified and buried. Proofs to them, because they had to believe it. And then it says that he was speaking to them concerning the kingdom of God. Now, he would have said many things, but we get this morning in these verses to the heart of the message that he left with his disciples about the kingdom of God because these were the last words that he gave to them, to the church, before he ascended to be with his father. And since it's Mother's Day weekend, I decided to take some of these words of Jesus and some spoken by a pair of angels and compare them to what our moms might have said. And so there's an outline in your bulletin, and, and here's the first one. You can almost hear your mom saying, Wait for what the Father has promised. Now, moms might word it a little differently. They might say it more like, you just wait till your father gets home. <laughs> Verse 4, gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait 
for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Notice he commands them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. Earlier in verse 2, it said that during these days, he was giving them orders. Wow. Interesting. Because remember earlier in the Gospels, Jesus had invited them to come and follow him. And then at times he would suggest this or that. Now, he's issuing orders and giving commands. What's the difference? Well, the difference is a level of commitment. And that's how Jesus always approaches us. He invites us to come follow him. But once we've made the commitment and said, he's my Lord, now we're saying, okay, Jesus, you can issue me orders and give me commands, and I'll do what you say. That's what it means to have Christ not only as Savior, but as Lord in our lives. And he tells them, don't leave Jerusalem. You stay right here. Don't go back up to Galilee. All of them now are from Galilee, they would have gravitated up there. Some of them to go fishing, maybe to return to their former way of life. He says, oh no, there's a plan here. In fact, not many days from now, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's referring, of course, to John the Baptist. John the Baptist preceded Jesus, preparing the way for him. And if you go to Matthew chapter 3, you hear John say, I baptize you with water, but he who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that happens not many days from this statement of Jesus. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, we call it the day of Pentecost. It was a Jewish feast when it happened. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But I want you to know that even though Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, he was not, Jesus was not diminishing water baptism. Not at all. In fact, he himself, though he was sinless, was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then he commanded his followers to go and to make disciples by baptizing them in water and teaching them to obey all that he had commanded. As you go through the New Testament, as you go through the book of Acts, you see that that's exactly what they did. And those who believed were baptized. And the Apostle Paul said that this baptism symbolized so many things, including the gospel, but also our identification with Christ. Water baptism is when we say, I'm in, and I want the world to know it. It's a public declaration. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is different. That was what was coming here just before Jesus ascended and would come 10 days later. That would be an historic event in which the Holy Spirit would fall upon those disciples and they would be baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit and then they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and all the events that followed described in the book of Acts. That took place on Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus made this statement. It's when the Holy Spirit became available to every person who was a follower of Christ. Now, prior to this, in the Old Testament era, the Holy Spirit would come upon a prophet 
or a priest or a king for a period of time to accomplish some task, but then would be withdrawn. But now that Holy Spirit at the baptism of the Holy Spirit would come forever for every believer. I believe it happened on Pentecost. I also believe it was repeated eight years later, recorded in the 10th chapter of Acts at the household of Cornelius because there were Jews there who needed to witness that this same Holy Spirit was available to Gentiles as well as to Jews. But it was an event that would change forever the course of the world and the church because the church would then be empowered because every believer would have that spirit. Now, as I said, Jesus wasn't diminishing water baptism. They had different roles. Water baptism was that personal and public declaration of a decision to identify with Christ. And most of you, many of you are followers of Christ. You've been baptized in water. And maybe in this culture, it wasn't earth-shattering. I mean, it maybe didn't send ripples through your circle of friends or your family, but in some parts of the world, it certainly would. In fact, uh, I get an, in my inbox every week from the voice of the martyrs, kind of what's happening in various parts of the world, and I got this one this past week, and uh, it says, the dangerous act of baptism. There's a Muslim being baptized. This is out of the Middle East. And Hal Jones, who's our missionary to the Middle East for decades, has been telling us through these decades that, yes, in Islamic countries, when you're baptized, you have just uh, said, I'm in with Jesus, and that's when persecution often begins. In fact, that's when many... Um, have to be smuggled out of that situation, even out of the country uh, that's happened because the family has wanted to kill them in an honor killing because now they've converted to follow Christ. Baptism is that dividing line. But not only in Islam, it's true in Hinduism as well. I had a Bible college professor some years ago who had spent 30 years in India. And he said that... that uh, they would teach these young adults about the Lord, and he said they could have a Jesus club, and that was okay with their families, okay, because they believe in lots of gods and deities and everything. But he said eventually then when they were ready to make a commitment to Christ, they'd be baptized. That was it for those families. He said one young man did that, and uh, he went home that evening, and he announced to his family that he'd been baptized. And... Um, he told the story later that his mother then served them food and they'd place it on leaves on the table. Didn't have plates. They'd put it on leaves on the table. And he said that there were a couple of dogs that always were in the doorway. They'd never come into the house. But as soon as she put that down, one of those dogs jumped up, came over and gulped down that food, turned and started for the door but didn't make it. Stiffened and died right there. His mother had tried to poison him when she learned that he had been baptized into Christ. Terrible story to tell on Mother's Day. I'm sorry. She was zealous but misguided. Uh, years ago, I ran into a fellow pastor here in Honolulu, and uh, he was Japanese national, a uh, strong Buddhist family. And uh, he came to Christ, and then he let his family know uh, through correspondence that he had been baptized into Christ. And his mother wrote him, he said, on two occasions, urging him to take his life. 
because he brought shame on the family with that conversion. And so I'm sure, David, you folks saw that in parts of Africa where you were as well. Baptism is a dividing line. It's a declaration. It's something we choose to do to say, I follow Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is something he does. He does to us. And it's, as I say, it was on Pentecost. And then from that point forward, everyone who puts their faith in Christ is baptized in the Holy Spirit at the point of belief. And then we choose to be baptized. Let me illustrate this uh, out of kind of an illustration from our own state, which I hope makes sense. August 21st, 1959, Hawaii became a state. Now, prior to that, Hawaii was a territory. And folks in Hawaii were U.S. citizens because it was a territory. But for the sake of this illustration, Let's pretend that nobody was a citizen in Hawaii before statehood. But on that day, a one-time event in history, everybody became a citizen. Well, after August 21st, 1959, everyone born in the state of Hawaii automatically becomes a citizen, right? And that's how I believe it was with this baptism of the Spirit. When that happened on Pentecost, those disciples were immersed in the Spirit. Since then, every time someone comes to faith in Christ, they are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 speaks of that. I think that those two baptisms, the one initiated by God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the one that we choose to do, water baptism, they're brought together in a testimony that uh, I read from Kevin Miller. Kevin Miller is the vice president of Christian, Christianity Today International, and he says this about a testimony given in his church. This young woman says, I choose this day to love and serve Jesus Christ as the Lord, the Messiah, the rest of my life. My name is Humaira Khan Kabir, not her real name, I became a Christian five months ago. When I was seven years old, I moved to Pakistan. I was injured and I was in a coma. After eight months, I came out of the coma. I was in a wheelchair. My eyes were open, but I couldn't move and I couldn't talk to people at all. At this time in my life, I saw my 18-year-old brother die in front of me. Every Friday, I went to the mosque and slept there because I didn't have any hope from the doctors that I could ever again walk or talk. One night, I was really upset. I went straight to the picture of Jesus. In Islam, they call him Isa, who's recognized as a prophet in Islam, and started talking to him. Why did you keep me alive? Why didn't you just kill me? Why did you keep me alive so I would see my 18-year-old brother dying in front of me? My head was on the floor and I was crying. Suddenly, someone squeezed my shoulder and said, I kept you for something special. I looked back and it was the same person who was in the picture. I fainted. In the morning, I woke up. My grandpa woke up and he said, You fell asleep all night on the floor. I looked at him and said, He was here. He was right here. My grandpa said, who? Then he said, oh my gosh, you're talking again. I said, he was right here. Where is he now? My grandpa said, who? This guy, 
pointing at the picture of Jesus. He told me he kept me for something special. Sweetie, that's not true because he died a long time ago. Remember I told you that story. I said, no, I saw what I saw, and I stood up. My grandpa had a hard time believing me, but there was a part of him that wondered because he saw me talking and walking again. I kept that memory in my heart, just a vision, and no one believed me at all. Everyone kept laughing at me. So that's why I chose to get baptized in the name of Jesus, but in my heart I am already baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's right. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, so she says, I'm going to declare that, whatever the cost, by being baptized in water. Now, if that sounds a little incredulous to, be, to you, incredible, it's like, I'm not surprised at all by that. Um, Hal Jones used to tell us these stories out of the Middle East, and then we began talking to missionaries that we got to know in the Middle East. And do you know that there are so many uh, Muslims coming to Christ now? It's just an amazing flow of people in those countries coming to Christ. Many of them coming to Christ because they've had visions of Jesus, dreams about Jesus. Even MJ, in our own church family, who was here studying at the University of Hawaii, that's what happened to him. He'd spent a year with us. Uh, I get chicken skin just thinking about it. But then it was finally a series of dreams in which the Lord was speaking to him. And he called and said, I need to get baptized. So God is speaking to people. And when they come, however they come, when they put their faith, when we put our faith in Christ, we're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, and then we choose to identify with Christ in the waters of baptism. Now, they were told to wait for what the Father had promised. We don't have to wait any longer because the baptism of the Holy Spirit has come, and now we can respond to Him in faith. Well, here's, here's another one that we might hear Mom saying. It's not for you to know. Mom might put it, that's none of your business. Tend to your own kuleana. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now I want to give the disciples a break here because I think it's understandable that they would be thinking, wow, it's here. Jesus, now that you're alive, we didn't understand what all that rest of that stuff is about, but you're going to bring back the glory to Israel? I mean, the prophets had spoken about it. They were anticipating Israel becoming a glorious nation once again. Would this be? It makes sense. And besides, not only would Jesus be enthroned, but they were thinking maybe of some positions for themselves, as we know from other gospel accounts. But no, the Lord is saying that's not what your focus should be. Let's pick it up again in verse 7. It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here it is. Here's the heart of his message to them and to us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That's your focus. Here's your responsibility. You'll be my witnesses, and you'll have power to do so. And your, your program is start right where you are, here in Jerusalem. 
then expand to Judea and Samaria, and then to the remotest parts of the earth. And by the way, just an aside, the book of Acts is the story of that early church, 28 chapters, and uh, this verse, 8, is actually a table of contents of the book of Acts. Because for the first seven chapters, they are witnessing in Jerusalem. And then between chapters 8 and 12, they expand out, because of persecution, into Samaria and into Judea with their witness. And then chapter 13, Saul of Tarsus gets saved. He becomes Paul the Apostle, and he starts going out on missions and uh, going to the Roman cities in the empire. And finally all the way to the capital city of Rome itself, and they are going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the remotest parts, and finally, down through the ages, I mean, the gospel got to Hawaii in the 1840s, and that's about as remote as you can get from Jerusalem. But that was the plan of the ages as well as the table of contents of the book of Acts. And here's the thing. Jesus said, not only do you have a message, but you have power in that message. And that's the Holy Spirit who resides within you. And so we think, okay, we look at that verse and think, if he's given me power to witness, does that mean he's given me boldness to go down to a corner of Kalakau and start preaching the gospel? Possibly. But that may not be the most effective way to do it. I believe that boldness is included in the presence of the Holy Spirit within us to live for Christ right where we are, to speak to family members about what Christ is doing in our lives or to co-workers or to people on our campus and to share this good news about Jesus. Boldness, but much more than that. Because when the Holy Spirit resides within us, He gives us, well, He convicts us of our continual need for repentance and to walk in humility before those around us. That is powerful in and of itself. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our losses. He also comforts us with the realization that though we sin, we're forgiven. We're children of God. New Testament says the Holy Spirit guides us through the decisions that we need to make. He, he guides us into the truth as we continue to seek the Lord. And he gives us strength for the journey. And so this all happens because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we don't need to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's happened in our lives when we came to Christ. What we need to do, we're never commanded to seek the baptism, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what can happen is when we get off on our own agenda, when we, like the disciples, start saying, well, is is this what you're going to do now? And, and we start going on rabbit trails. Other than what he's told us to do in our own sinful ways, we can quench the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit within us. We quench the Spirit through our sin and distractedness. But what we need to do is repent of that and say, okay, Lord, I want to follow your orders. I want to be a witness and trust in the power that you've given me. And then we can be filled with the Holy Spirit as we uh, walk with him and witness for him. Well, Jesus said, don't just spend your lives in speculation. Give your lives to serving my mission. 
And sometimes it's more comfortable, frankly, for churches to just get off into all kinds of studies that have nothing to do with reaching the lost and learn more and more information without really caring about lost people in our community or in our circles. But uh, it's more comfortable, but that's missing the main point. In fact, I almost entitled this message, um, you can hear that mom saying this as well, be sure to keep the main thing as the main thing, okay? The main thing is to keep the main thing as the main thing, and that is, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, your Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Our church needs to do that. Each of us as followers, as disciples of Christ, need to do that. One more. And that is, we can hear our moms almost say, what are you waiting for? And again, they may say, I'm not going to tell you again. Get moving. Verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Wouldn't you love to have seen that? I mean, this cloud, what would it be like? A lot of scholars suggest, and I think with good reason, this could be the same cloud that was in the wilderness with Moses and the children of Israel because that cloud led them by day, and that was like the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. And, of course, Jesus had come uh, in flesh from God. He was deity encased in flesh, and now he's up there, and, and there's a cloud, and it could have also been the same cloud that was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Those of you who've read the Gospels, you know that, that, that one day Jesus took Peter and James and John up on the mount and all of a sudden there's Jesus, but there's Elijah and Moses with him. The prophets from the Old Testament have returned and it's like, whoa, they are blown away and then all of a sudden a cloud envelops them. Maybe it's the same Shekinah glory and then Jesus alone is standing there. And that's another story. Maybe they were thinking like that, some of them, because they'd heard that story from Peter, James, and John. But it says, as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. That was probably a clue. These were not just men. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Now, again, I think it's understandable that those disciples would have continued to gaze up into the sky, wouldn't you? They'd never seen anything like this. And maybe, as I say, they were thinking, no, Jesus is going to reappear again. But those angels said, no. I mean, he'll come. He promised he would return. But you've got work to do. Why are you still standing here looking into the sky? In fact, Jesus had told these disciples before his crucifixion that he needed to go, that he would go to the Father, and there he would intercede for them, but that he would send the Spirit to be with them and with those who followed him all the way to the end of the age. And so this was all necessary for Jesus to be the intercessor, and for the Holy Spirit to come. But I believe the message to the church today is what are you waiting for? You, you have the mandate. You've got the mission. You have uh, the power 
to share this glorious good news with those around you. In fact, people are in desperate need of it. There's people all around us, folks, where we live, in our families, who've lost hope. Some are confused. Some are looking for fulfillment in ways that will never bring any fulfillment. Many are afraid of life and afraid of death. And they need to hear. And how are they going to hear if we don't respond to the commission he's given us to go and to share this good news? And we say, well, I'm not sure they'd believe. I mean, they've heard before. You know what? That's not our responsibility. Ours is to be faithful, to witness, because the same Holy Spirit will convict those who hear and convert them. We can't do that. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we simply need to be responsible to do what Jesus has told us to do as a church in whatever capacity. And when we serve together, we need to serve in part with a commitment to reach the lost and personally be praying for lost people and then sharing our story and doing whatever we can to reach out to the lost. And I want to encourage us as a church to keep the main thing the main thing in that regard. And if you're here this morning and you've not yet made the decision to follow Christ, what are you waiting for? Uh, I would encourage you, I would urge you, make that decision. Believe in what Christ has done for you on the cross. He's offered you forgiveness and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternity. Open your heart today. Believe, receive, and respond to him. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for your willingness to come, to give your life for us. And then, amazingly, even to involve us in your plan to reach the world from our Jerusalem, through our Judea and Samaria, into the remotest parts of the world. Lord, help us personally and as a church to be faithful and responsible to do just that. And Lord, I do pray for anyone here this morning who has not yet availed himself or herself of this amazing eternal offer. And pray that today she or he would say, Yes, Jesus, I believe. And I receive you into my life. Lord, it's your presence and it's your power that continually transforms us. And we thank you for it in your name. Amen.